Matthew chapter 16 this evening. Matthew 16. By the way, you have in your hand a copy of the church covenant, right? <clears throat> we will read it together. Uh, we're supposed to read it twice every year together, right? And the reason is, because this is our agreement together as a church, as a body. We agree these things together. We, we agree to operate by this standard together. So it's important uh, that we actually go through it and that we keep it in mind, because it's not just something that's written in a dusty book. It's something that's to be lived in real lives, right? But we're going to look at the church tonight for a moment. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And Jesus said, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us as we look to your word tonight. Help us, Lord. Draw us close to you, Lord. Help us to see things from your perspective. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ had nothing, right? Uh, when it came to uh, him being crucified, they, <clears throat> they, they, they took his possessions, and his possessions consisted of uh, a, a, a linen garment that somebody had given him, right? That's all he had. That's all he owned. They cast lots for that because it was uh, valuable. Somebody had given it to him, but he had nothing else, absolutely nothing else. You know, <clears throat> um, he didn't have a home. Uh, he didn't have a car. He didn't have uh, anything of his own. No money in the bank. No nothing. Judas carried all his money. Doesn't that just gall you? Uh, would it really gall you to think that Judas carried all your money? Uh, and the guy was a crook from the word go. But anyway, <clears throat> that's the way it was. But <clears throat> he did claim one thing as his own. He said, my church. I will build my church. The church is very important to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is that for which he gave his body. That he shed his blood for the church, and it's very important to him. And it ought to be important to us. Now, we deal with organizations all around us all the time, all kinds of different organizations. We're, you know, we're involved in different organizations. You may work in a job. You may be involved in a club. Uh, you've got all kinds of organizations, but the church is not like any of those organizations. And oftentimes what happens to us is we kind of reckon on it as though it is. But because it belongs to him, it's not like anything else we're involved in. And we need to remember that. You know, I watched some cases, not here, but I watched some cases recently of uh, where somebody set out to hurt a church. And when somebody sets out to hurt a church, I always go, oh my, you don't know what you're doing. Because the church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his church. You don't want to hurt what belongs to him. You don't want to hurt what, uh, what's precious to him. And, um, you know, uh, you, can, you can expect him to react to something that you hurt when it's his. He says, my church. So it's precious to him. And it ought to be precious to us too. The church ought to be uh, an organization that, that really we have a, uh, more than a tender spot in our hearts for. But, but that we have a willingness to sacrifice for. Because it belongs to him. You know... <clears throat> If somebody gave you their most precious possession uh, to hold on to, even a family heirloom, right? And your mother passes on to you a ring uh, that's been passed through the generations in the family and it's precious to the family. Well, if you treated that lightly, there'd be great offense taken. You see, it's precious. Uh, the church is the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to treat it as being precious, right? Now, we're going to look at three pictures tonight of the church. And um, <clears throat> look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
And by the way, these are not necessarily uh, in the correct order, in the order of importance. You'll see what I'm saying as we, as we go on with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. First picture of the church is the church is a body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink uh, into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the, in the body, as it hath pleased him. A couple of thoughts for you to, to grab there, right? First of all, Paul's using an illustration for us that's, um, uh, you know, almost ridiculous, right? He's comparing uh, the church to a body, and then he's comparing the members to the uh, members of a body. And he's saying, you know, if, if, um, if the hand were to say, I'm not of the body, well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Imagine your hand rejecting the rest of your body and decide to go it alone. But, but he's using the picture carefully. He's using the picture in an important way to help us to see that we don't function as individuals. That we function as a body. That we function as one. Right? And he says this, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Who put you in this body? Right, listen, you can go and join a golf club. Right? And if you don't like the golf club and you get a better deal in the one down the road, you can just take your membership out of the golf club uh, and jump into your car and go and join the other golf club. Who's to say any different to it? Because what you did was you joined it and you, 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 you joined it and then you left it. Now, people treat the church like that. You know, they join a church and it doesn't suit them. And so what they do is they walk away and they find somewhere else to go. Right? But notice what it says there. Verse 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. Who put you in this church? You can answer me. Who put you in this church? Do you believe that? If God put you in this church, do you have the right to remove yourself from it? Now, do you? Okay, well, say somebody phones me up. And um, they say they need a pastor, and they're willing to pay me twice what I'm getting here. Right? <clears throat> Do I have the right to go? You sure? <laughs> what do you think, Val? <laughs> now, no. Why? Because God puts the members in the body. Now, you know, it's kind of a, uh, an easier one when you look at it as being the pastor. When you look at it as being the church members, we tend to think of it in different terms. You know, we're just, com- we're just customers, almost. But that's not the way it is. God puts people in a church, and you don't have the right to leave it. And <clears throat> here's what you'll, you'll see happen. When people leave churches, they, 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 they end up uh, with a difficulty, with a problem, because they, you know, they, they, they establish a practice of leaving them. Now, I'm not saying there are reasons, aren't reasons why somebody should leave a church. There are. But it's not something that you do lightly. It's something that you're very careful about because God put you here. Now, see what else he says in verse 19. If there were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. 
And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon, uh, these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Right? <clears throat> Why did God give you all these different members? Why have you got feet and hands and a head, and a chest, and lungs, and why have you got all these different parts? They're all essential. You know, in, uh, this fascinates me. In the Old Testament, they would, they would chop off a man's thumbs, and they would chop off his big toes. And you had rendered him almost inoperative. Very little you can do with no big toes uh, and, and with no thumbs. You can't pick up a sword and fight anymore, uh, and you can't balance properly without your big toes. So, you know, <clears throat> it was just, just those four little tiny parts of, uh, of a person, and you can actually render the person almost unable to do anything. <clears throat> you see, when it comes to our body, all the parts are, are, are necessary. You know, when they tell you you don't need parts of your body, that they, they're okay, they're, they're spurious. God didn't put any spurious parts in us. That's kind, of, that's kind of a scary thing. You may be able to do without some parts, but God put them there for a purpose. Right? So all, all the parts are, are, are important. Now, if we'll say... <clears throat> We were to take our hand, one hand, and we were to say, well, look, we really don't need that. We've got another hand. Uh, let's, let's just get rid of that hand. Could we live? Yeah, of course we could live. Yeah, people live quite well without a hand, right? Do we live as effectively? No, we don't live as effectively because the hand is necessary. What about your foot? <clears throat> you know, again, you can, you can do without parts of the body, but all the parts of the body are necessary to you being effective. You don't want to be lightly uh, losing limbs. That's not what you want to do. Now, when it comes to the church, it's the same deal. We're all members. God's given us all different areas, different blessings, different talents, different ways uh, to work in the church. And everybody is essential to the working of the church. There's no one in the church you can look at and you can say, well, look, they're not essential to it. Everybody is essential to the working of the church, right? <clears throat> um, and we need to keep that in mind. God puts you here, and God puts you here for a purpose. So guess what? You're important. You're important to the work that God wants to do here. Everybody is. <clears throat> Verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that all the members should have the same care one for another. What causes schism or division in the body? What is the cause of division in the body? Somebody answering me there? Sorry? The devil. The devil. Okay, the, the devil. <clears throat> the devil, definitely. He, he can cause. How, how does he do it? What, what does he use? Listen, is it not true that always at the root of the division there's pride? My pride is the cause of contention. There's always pride involved in it. And what the enemy does is he uses uh, <clears throat> pride to actually create a problem in the body and, and, and does it regularly. And, and it can manifest itself in all kinds of ways. It can manifest itself in somebody hating somebody else. It can manifest itself in somebody um, <clears throat> being critical of somebody else. You know, but ultimately, the heart of it all is always pride. And do you know that we're proud creatures? And it's very easy for us to get to the place where there's schism in the body, where there's Lack of unity. And when there's a lack of unity, God can't do all that he wants to do in the body. The body doesn't function the way it's supposed to function. 
There needs to be a unity in the body. Uh, there should be no schism in the body. <clears throat> Verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now are ye body of Christ and members in particular, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, second early prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But covet earnestly the, earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you uh, a more excellent way. <clears throat> right, so what has God done? God has taken a body, and God puts members in the body, and he gives each one of those members spiritual gifts to aid the body. Now, y- y- you know what I've noticed? Your spiritual gift functions as well as you walk close to the Spirit. Do you know that? That your spiritual gift doesn't function. It's not something you have that you just function away in. Uh, It's something that really functions as you walk close to God. The closer you walk to God, the more power you have. Uh, And the closer you walk to God, the more easy it's going to be to see your spiritual gifts. I've seen all the tests and so on. and I mean, they, they drive me nuts because they're all different. All the tests to identify somebody's spiritual gifts, they're all different, and they all come to different conclusions and so on. But, you know, the reality is the Spirit of God is the giver of gifts, and he's the one that will say, listen, this is your gift. And other people will recognize it, but he's the one. And, you know, in order for you to know your gift, you have to walk close enough for, to, to, to him to actually see it. But it's the Spirit of God giving gifts and putting people in the body, and everybody is important. Do you know it's important that you walk with God every day? It's important to this body. It's important that you, as a member of this church, stay close to God. That you don't let the enemy in to, to tear down and destroy. It's important to us that we keep close to God because we're members of a body. We're members of a church. We all impact each other. You know, <clears throat> you know if, if one part of your body is sickly, right? <clears throat> you know, um, lifting up the floorboards in, the, in there the other day, I smashed my nail. Now, it's only my nails, it's only kind of this, this, this much of my body, you know? There's a whole lot of my body involved, and, and there was just this time. You know what? It throbbed, and the rest of my body felt it. And, and nobody was giving out to my thumb for being so stupid. Uh, you know, everybody was in sympathy with my thumb because it hurt, right? Now, listen, the, the, the smallest part of the body, not to be functioning the way it should, affects us physically and the same is true spiritually when you're not functioning the way you should it affects us spiritually so the church is a body second picture of this is the church is a bride look at ephesians chapter 5 5 verse 25 Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And then he goes on to speaking here about the church. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. The church is a bride. Right now, a bride wears a white dress. Why does she wear a white dress to manifest her purity? To display her purity. That's what the white dress is about. Now, when we talk about the church being a bride, being the bride of Christ, he, he wants it pure. It's 
We've been set apart for him, but he wants the church to be pure. And I think oftentimes, because we think of, think of the church as being a social organization, and it does have a social aspect to it, but because we think of it as being a social organization, we forget about purity. Purity is real important to God. We're his bride. We're going to be married to him one day, and it's important to him that we be pure, that he might sanctify, set apart, cleanse, wash with the water of the word, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, how holy do you think the church should be? How holy do you think a church should be? Is it kind of, you know, how important is it that the church be holy? Let me ask you that. that, that way. It's very important, obviously. How holy should we be? As, as holy as it's possible to be. That's a big issue. That's not a minor issue. It's not a small issue. That's a key issue for us. We're a bride. And we're supposed to be holy. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for the church that he might sanctify it, that it might be pure. When the church pitches purity, and many churches are today, it's going totally against what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do in it. Purity is important. Purity is very important to us. It's very important that we stay pure as a church. You know, it's very important that we don't lower the standard. Now, here's the deal. The deal is, you know, it's easy for us to lower the standard. And, you know, we may maintain the platform. And the platform here, when we say, okay, listen, we're going to have to keep this right. This is going to be pure. This is going to be clean. This is going to be right. The preaching is going to be right. The music is going to be right. All those things are going to be right. But you know what? The church is not pure because the platform's pure. The church is pure when the people are pure. That's what's real important to us. It's real important that we're pure, that we're clean, that we're holy, that we're separate from sin, that we're not like the world. It's not just, you know, uh, something that we, you know, a wish for. It's important. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself so that he could have a pure church. So that he could have a people that were clean and that were holy before him. And he wants us to be clean and holy before him. And that means he wants me to be clean and holy and he wants you to be clean and holy. That's important to him. And so as a church we need to understand this holiness thing. You know, is not the idea of just our standards. This holiness thing is that God wants us holy. Standards help us to be holy. I think they're great if they do. They're not an end in themselves, but they help us to be holy and to walk with him. And that's a big issue for him. So LifeGate Bible Baptist Church needs to be a holy church. Why? Because that's what Jesus gave himself for. A holy church. He wants us to be holy. You know, um, we're as holy as the individual members are. You know, that you present to some people what LifeGate Bible Baptist Church is. Do you know that? That some people look at you, you're the only thing they know about the church, and they look at you in your life, and they reckon that's what LifeGate is. But worse than that, they reckon since you're a Christian and you represent the Lord Jesus Christ, that whatever you're doing is okay with him. Whatever you do, whatever you do and however you live is fine by him. But we're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be pure. There's not supposed to be the wickedness of the world found in us. We're supposed to be clean of it. We're supposed to walk close to him, right? <clears throat> That's why sometimes we're going to exercise church discipline. 
Now, now, and remember this. Oftentimes, we we look at church discipline and we think of church discipline as being social. You know, what we're going to do is we're going to help somebody get right. And listen, I hope people get right because of church discipline. Uh, that would be good for them. They, that, that's what they need. And uh, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that's what happened. But you know what? If you read through those passages, the reason for church discipline is purity. Because we're supposed to be a pure church. We're supposed, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to put out any leaven. So that's why from, from time to time we'll operate in church discipline because we're going to be a pure church. We need to be a pure church. God wants a pure church. Thirdly, though, <clears throat> the church is an army. Matthew 16, verse 18 again. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, think through that statement. We, we, we've talked about it many times, and we'll talk about it many times more. Right? When it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, think through it. What does that mean? Does that mean that Satan's going to come charging us with the gates of hell? No. What does it mean? We're going to go charging. You see, if, if somebody said to you, listen, I'm coming for you, and your gates on your house are not going to protect you, you would understand them to mean that even though you close the gates, they're going to come through them, and they're going to get you. Right? Now, when God says the gates of hell should not prevail against us, we are an army that are supposed to attack hell, and even hell's gates can't protect, can't protect them from us. That we're supposed to uh, be an army with such power uh, that we're able to attack hell and see God do a work. Now, remember, we're part of the battle of the ages, whether, whether we like it or not. <clears throat> now, the battle of the ages is basically Satan decided he would be God. He was going to take the glory that was rightfully God's. And God said, no, you're not. And Satan got kicked out of heaven. And a third of the angels of heaven followed him. And um, there's been a war going on for the glory ever since. There's no question about who's worthy of the glory, and there's no question ultimately about who's going to get the glory, but Satan's been battling to get every corner of it he possibly can. And it's very true in this world that either you're worshipping Satan or you're worshipping God, one or the other. There isn't really a middle ground. You know, all the idols and everything else, we, they, they're just worshipping Satan. You're either worshipping one or the other. Even his children, I think, I think Satan particularly loves to get the child of God off base and get them to the place where they're worshipping Satan too. I think, I think he particularly, he loves it when he can get you in the muck and the mire and get you to the place where you're actually worshiping Satan again. He just loves that. And remember, when you're not walking with God and you're walking away from God and doing your own thing, that's exactly what you're doing. That's the problem with it. It's not that it's inconvenient for you and it's not that it's difficult for you. The problem is that you're actually worshiping self and Satan. You're doing your own thing. <clears throat> Right? But the cross gave Jesus the victory, and the church is not to hold out, but to move forward. Right? We're supposed to move forward as an army and take ground for him. Now, what kind of ground are we going to take? Well, we're supposed to take ground in our own lives, aren't we? I mean, the enemy takes ground from us, and, uh, and we yield it to him, we let him have it. We're supposed to take it back. Right? <clears throat> because the weapons are, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You may be here tonight, and you may be saying, oh, there's no way out of this for me. I'm stuck in this. 
No, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The problem for us is we often operate on a human plane. Is there a difference between a believer giving up smoking and a non-believer giving up smoking? Is it the same practice? Now think about it. Is it, is it the same practice? What's the difference? What's the difference between a believer giving up smoking and a non-believer giving up smoking? Hugh? Sorry, say again? Okay. That would be your reasoning, right? But, 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 but it comes down, listen, unbelievers want to give up smoking, unbelievers want to give up smoking, right? So you come down to the place where you recognize, okay, it's bad for me, it's destroying the temple. Now, when it comes to giving it up, what's the difference between you and the world? Leighton? Okay, one's depending upon self and one's depending upon God. It's the Spirit of God in us. Now, you know what? Very often, believers live just like the world, and that they depend upon self to do it. And they have equal to or worse than the results of the world. You see, we're not like the world. <clears throat> we're different. Uh, we have victory. We're supposed to move forward. We're supposed to take ground in our lives because of God, because of what he's done in our lives. So as a church, as individuals, we're supposed to take ground. Now, <clears throat> what other ground are we supposed to take? We're supposed to reach others for him. That's just basic to the Christian life. The enemy loves it when he lulls us into a sleeping state where we're thinking, yeah, well, you know, somebody else would do that. Or, yeah, well, you know, this is, this is a dark age. And, you know, whatever reason he lulls us into thinking, you know, that's not possible. But we're supposed to be reaching others for him. That's, that's the lifeblood of the church. But, you know, if we're going to be an army, we've got to be, have a battle going on. And, and key to our battle is going to be that we're going to break through the gates of hell and we're going to take people out of hell. And remember, when Paul was given his commission to, uh, by the Lord Jesus, he told him that he would take people and move them from the power of Satan unto the power of God. That he was going to plunder Satan's kingdom effectively, and he was going to see people moved to the power of God, to the authority of God. They were going to be changed because of it. And we're supposed to be involved in that. That's what we're here for. That's why we're, we're, we're hanging around on this planet, not so that we can have a good time, but so that we can actually do a work for God and see souls saved and see him doing something. We're an army. We're supposed to be moving forward. You know, we're not a peacetime army. You know, it must be hard to be a peacetime army because peacetime armies just, you know, what, what do you do when you're an army? The Romans had it down, though. The, 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 the Romans said this, that the only difference for a Roman soldier uh, between being at war and being at peace was blood on his sword. Because when he, was in, when he was at peace, he did just as much work as he did when he was at war. And you know, we need to understand that we're not at peace here. We've got a war going on. You know, and when we sit back on our laurels spiritually and we're not called all that affected as far as reaching souls is concerned, we're vulnerable. We're easy targets. We all need to be out there doing something as far as the gospel is concerned. That's key to your Christianity. You need to be out there reaching people with the gospel. That's, that's, that's key to it. You know, <clears throat> don't sacrifice that when you're part of an army. What kind of a soldier are you if you never go to war? You know, <clears throat> what kind of a soldier? The whole drive of a soldier of an army is war. That's the focus of it. Typically, when the war is over, you disband most of the army because you don't need them anymore. 
But we're an army. We're supposed to be fighting, and we're supposed to be <clears throat> preparing ourselves to fight. You see, God has called us to be part of an organization that he created for his purposes and for his ends. And his chief end, as far as souls are concerned, is reaching them with the gospel. Jesus died to pay the price for all of their sin. And his chief end is to reach them. What are you doing about that? You know, what are you doing as far as that's concerned? Isn't it true that the, day, the church in our day and age is weak? And one of the reasons the church is weak is because it's really not all that concerned about souls. It's lulled into a, into a place where, you know, it's not all that important. Listen, if, if we believe it's important, we ought to manifest it. We ought to reach out to people with the gospel. We ought to put ourselves out in a limb to do it. And we ought to be doing it constantly. We ought, to be, we, we ought to be out there doing it constantly because we're a church. We're made for it. We're made for war. You ever notice that when you do what you're supposed to be doing, it feels good? You ever notice that? You know, listen, our bodies need exercise. We hate exercise because it's exertion and all the rest. But when you exercise, it actually feels good. Your body feels good when you exercise. You know, when you do what you're made to do, listen, it feels good. You know, when as a child of God, you actually reach out to people with the gospel, it feels good. You feel this is what I'm here for. This is what I was made for. It's some of the most exciting moments in your life when you open your mouth and you speak forth his word. Uh, and the reason is because, listen, he made you to be an army. And, you see, one day soon... The trumpet's going to sound and we're going to be lifted out of all this and it's all going to be over. We've been looking at that. We'll get back to it uh, probably next week. But it's all going to be over and it'll be all be over very soon. It'll all be over very quickly. Right? We'll be done with this thing. And, you know, when we're done with this thing, you know, we, we, we won't be on our way to heaven counting our money. You say, that's good because I haven't got any to count. I really understand that, right? <clears throat> But, you know, we won't be on our, on our way to heaven uh, seeing how, how beautiful we look. We won't be remarking on each other's intelligence and brilliance on our way to heaven. Everything's going to change in that day. But you know what will be important? Who did you reach? Did you operate according to what God made you to operate by? Listen... <clears throat> That's important. It's important to you, and it's important to us as a church. So, so three pictures of the church, right? <clears throat> First of all, we're a body. We're all part of each other. We don't understand that. We're all part of each other. Secondly, we're a bride. Bride with a white dress. We're supposed to be pure. Your purity matters to God. Sin is not a problem for you in the sense that it makes your life difficult. Sin is a problem for you primarily because it sullies you in the eyes of Jesus. And until you get that in your head, you're always going to have a problem with sin. Because we're way too focused on the fact that, well, sin is a problem for me. Listen, the problem it is to you is tiny by comparison to the real issue. And the real issue is it's a problem for God. So when it comes to us as being a church, we need to be pure. By the way, we need to be as pure as a church can possibly be. And if we ever have to sacrifice numbers for purity, let's sacrifice the numbers. Let's be pure. But whatever we have to do, purity is important because purity is important to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our building doesn't impress him. It really doesn't. Our numbers don't impress him. But our purity pleases him. Because we're his bride. So we're supposed to be pure. And thirdly, we're supposed to be an army moving forward for him. <clears throat> let's not miss it. 
Let's not miss what we're here for. Let's not end up doing something other than what he planned for us. Let's be the church that he wants us to be. Let's look to him and expect him to work in our midst and let's be that kind of a people. Now, let me have you do this. Let me have you everybody stand if you would. We're going to read through the covenant. And I hope it's not the first time you've seen it. But it's printed out for you to stick in your Bible and to take home with you, right? Our church covenant. Uh, As a bond of unity among among us, this church accepts for its members the following covenant. Having been led by the Holy Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on profession of our faith in Him, having been baptized, immersed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we do now most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We promise that we will watch over and counsel one another in the spirit of brotherly love that we will remember one another in our prayers and that we will aid each other in sickness and distress and cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy and speech, being slow to take offense but always ready for reconciliation, keeping in mind the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We further agree by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in scriptural knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its spirituality and prosperity, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, and to give it a sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin, and to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel throughout this nation and all the world. We further covenant to maintain family and private devotions, to properly rear and educate our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and to faithfully witness for Christ in seeking the salvation of the lost. And let me say this about devotions. Um, Devotions are a key issue as far as us being a strong church. What you do in the privacy of your home, as far as your devotions are concerned, are a key issue. You can't have a close walk with God without meeting with Him. It's a key issue. And, you know, it's not just important to you. It's important to us, and it's important to Him. It is a key issue for us. All right. Whereas we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth, we will seek God's power to enable us to deny ungodliness and every worldly lust, living living in diligent care in this present world. As living testimonies as to the praise of his saving power and glory, we promise not to engage in idle talk, avoid all backbiting and unrighteous anger, abstaining from everything that will cause our brother to stumble, and abstaining from all questionable practices, indulgences, and appearances of evil that will allow reproach to be brought on the name or cause of Christ. We moreover endeavor that when we leave this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other Bible-believing and Bible-teaching local church wherein we can carry out the spirit of, this, of the covenant and the principles of God's holy word. All right, and all God's people said amen. Let's do this. Let's just let's remain standing, and let me just have a couple of you pray, and then we'll dismiss and we'll go to our business meeting. Vincent, would you open us in prayer? And if a couple of you men would pray as well, and then I'll close it.